Hello, and welcome to the In Awe and Wonder podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Hamilton. This is the second episode of the month, which means we'll be reading a psalm, talking a little bit about it, seeing what attributes of God we might see in it, and giving praise and thanksgiving to God. So today we will be reading Psalm 91 and taking a look at that. So Psalm 91, it's titled, My Refuge and My Fortress. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked." Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on a lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So to break down Psalm 91, we can break it into three parts. Verses 1 and 2 are an affirmation that God is our refuge. Then verses 3 through 13 describes how the Lord is our refuge. And closing with verses 14 to 16 is a confirmation by God that he is, in fact, our refuge. So overall, this psalm is a refuge psalm. It is an antidote to fears and anxiety. Okay, so the attributes of God that we see in this psalm, just in verses 1 and 2, he is our shelter, He provides shadow. He is our refuge. He is our fortress. He is trustworthy. And he's our peace. Then moving on into verses 3 through 13. He will deliver us. So he's our deliverer. And he's present. And he's able. And he sees us. As we talked about in the attributes of God, the names of God, in the last episode... El Roi, the God who sees me. He will cover us and shield us. So again, he protects us. He's our protector. He has compassion on us. He is faithful with his steadfast love and in keeping his promises. We find peace and no fear in him, meaning no terrified type of fear for the struggles in our lives and diseases and sickness. So in other words, we will not be afraid in the struggles 
and things that we face in this life that are negative in nature, and we can find peace in him through it. So when the sicknesses, the diseases, the struggles, the financial hardships, whatever it might be, come, we can find peace in God. We will see the wicked and unrighteous be held accountable and repaid for their wickedness and unrighteousness. Then to verse 10, it says, No evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. And specifically, the evil that is talked about in this verse is moral evil. So in other words, no moral evil will be able to befall you. And that just means that they would be evils that would be moral in nature, meaning things that would be motivated by an evil heart. Specifically, moral evil is defined as any morally negative event caused by the intentional action or inaction of an agent, such as a person. An example of a moral evil might be murder, war, or any other evil event for which someone can be held responsible or culpable. So God is saying in this verse that nothing in that nature will befall you. You will be guarded from falling into that type of thinking and moral evils. The Holy Spirit living inside you will be sanctifying you and working through you to become more like Christ, not the opposite of Christ, which would be a moral evil And backing up just a couple of verses where it talks about the terror of the night and the arrows that fly by day. My study Bible says for um, the terrors of the night, it is probably referring to plagues that would come and overtake their encampment. And then the arrows that fly by day would be a reference to battles that would be set up against them but can be taken figuratively for the struggles in life. So in other words, any sicknesses and diseases, things like that, that could come upon us and then the general struggles in life, whether it's a physical threat against us or other things like financial hardship and things like that. But I wanted to make specific mention of the fact that the Bible does tell us that struggles, temptations, sicknesses, all of that is to be expected in this fallen sinful world. And so nowhere does God promise that this stuff is not going to come upon us or that just because we're Christians or have faith in him that we are going to be like completely shielded from that stuff. In other passages we see where the Bible affirms those things are going to take place and happen. There's nowhere that says Christians will be exempt. So I just wanted to make that clear. But rather, what this psalm is saying and other places in the Bible say is that we will find peace. Our fears and anxieties can be put at bay, and we can look forward with hope And even through our, in the middle of our struggles, that we can look to God and we will find perfect love and joy and peace, hope, and that he will take care of us, have compassion on us. He will be there for us, hear us, 
protect us and that we will be delivered at some point in time. Even if it's not the way that we would want it to be, there will be a deliverance and a redemption. So on to, we are at verse 11. And that verse says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. That was verse 12 also. So specifically verse 11 I feel like this is at least a verse in the Bible. I don't know if there's some others specifically that people could have gotten the idea of people having guardian angels from. Because this verse says that he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So right there, it sounds like the idea of a guardian angel. I have no idea whether that idea is true or not. I don't really think anybody would have a definite answer for that. I know some people are really into angels and they definitely think everybody has one. I just don't have any idea. The Bible does not make that clear. However, I can see where people would draw that conclusion from a verse like this. But even if it is true that people have guardian angels, I would hesitate to think that unbelievers have guardian angels because it would be a protection or a benefit for the children of God. Because angels are meant to be ministering beings. They come and help or minister. They carry out God's will. And yes, they're working behind the scenes. I know they fight spiritual battles, things like that. But I don't see where everybody has a guardian angel. And I definitely do not think that unbelievers have a guardian angel, if that's even true. So I just wanted to say that real quick. But I had always kind of wondered where people got that idea from. And it's probably from this verse. And like I said, there could be others that say similar things. Also, we see a cross-reference to verses 11 and 12, where Satan quotes these verses to Jesus when Satan is tempting him in the wilderness. That is found in Matthew 4, verse 6. But I'm going to read the whole first part of the chapter, chapter 4 of Matthew. Okay, the temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And... On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So that was Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. So my study Bible notes that Satan used these verses from Psalm 91 in exactly the opposite way that they were originally intended in Psalm 91. 
Psalm 91 is meant to be an exhortation to trust in God. But Satan attempts to replace trust with a test, casting doubt on God's faithfulness. And it says that Satan's aim was to turn faith into a presumption. And presumption is not a mark of great faith, but it's evidence of no faith at all. So in this temptation of Jesus, in these three ways that the devil tries to tempt him, that they were appealing to common motivations of physical drives, like the first temptation where Jesus was hungry and Satan tempted him to turn the stones into loaves of bread. So the physical drive there was hunger, but you could think about any type of physical drive that the human body has that we can be tempted by. Pride, because this second example of the devil setting Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple and saying, basically, if you throw yourself down, you know, the angels are just going to come and rescue you and catch you and you'll be fine. And so that is where the presumption comes in. And that is a root of pride. Just presuming that because, you know, I'm a Christian that I'm not going to get sick or I'm not going to have financial struggles or any other kind of struggles or temptations or trials and things of that nature. And then the third one where the devil was tempting Jesus with all the kingdoms of the world and their glory if Jesus would fall down and worship the devil. That is a temptation of possessions, okay, material wealth and possessions. And I mean, for Jesus, this was also a temptation to become king by not having to endure the cross. Now, of course, that was not the way things were supposed to happen. And Jesus knew that. And he knew his mission, and it was to ultimately go to the cross to take on the sins of God's children and take on God's wrath for them and to live a perfect life to impute to them. So he was not going to let that purpose and mission be thwarted by these temptations from the devil. Just to recap, then, these temptations are the same things that we are most likely to be tempted by, which is physical drives, pride, and the desire for possessions. And I think that these verses really cut through the heart of some of the word of faith movement and the people who feel like they're Christians, they have faith. So, you know, whether they think they have to muster up enough faith to achieve these things or what it might be, or to say the right prayers, whatever, that they are promised or deserved or they're entitled to, like the health and wealth prosperity, what they call the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, that type of mentality. These things really cut through the heart of that because with Satan's aim to turn faith into a presumption with those temptations, it would be like assuming that if we were in the same position, if we were like on the edge of a cliff, that saying just because we're a Christian or we have faith that if I jump off this cliff that the angels are just going to take care of me and catch me and I'll be fine. I won't die. I won't get hurt. That's absurd. And that is exactly what the word of faith movement seems to trying to be teaching though. That if they have enough faith and if they follow Jesus that they will not get sick. They won't be in poverty all of that, and that's just presumptuous. Like I said before, nowhere in scripture is that promised, 
Although I suppose you could just take it at surface level and think that's what the promises are meaning, but they really go deeper. Just like with sin, it's not just what we do in the outer physical world that is considered sin. We also have sin natures within us and in our hearts. Um, Things that we think in our mind and in our hearts are also considered sins. So it's just like that with going through these struggles and temptations and seeing evil in the world or asking why do bad things happen to good people. You know, everyone's going to go through issues and situations and struggles. Uh, No one is immune and it's pretty much just guaranteed that everybody's going to. So to presume that somehow you are special or above this uh, fallen world or uh, other people is just presumptuous and it's sinful and it's pride. And if you look deeper into the actual meaning of the verses that are promising blessings and things of that nature, it's really a deeper blessing that is not of the physical realm or nature. It is ones of peace or hope, joy, all of those intangible things are where the blessings actually lie. And going through the struggles and situations and holding on to Jesus, and then uh, from that comes those other blessings, getting through the struggles is really where the blessings are. So a lot of people don't understand that or take the time to figure that out, or they aren't mature enough in their faith, I guess, to either have experienced that or to to really understand what the Bible is trying to say in those regards. So moving on to verse 13, it says, You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. That verse specifically is talking about the coming destruction of Satan. That is tied to the very first promise that was given in Genesis of crushing the serpent's head. And that means crushing Satan, that he will be defeated Back in Matthew chapter 4 that I just read, my study Bible made a note that it was, well, I don't know how it said it exactly. I've switched pages now, but it didn't say it was funny that the devil did not quote that verse as well, but um, just interesting, you know, that he only quoted verses 11 and 12 and did not go to 13. (laughs) We will have victory over our enemy ultimately, and that is only by... Jesus' work on the cross, that he defeated sin and death, and the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire. He will be destroyed. So we are victorious through Christ. And again, a little side note about the um, word of faith movement and some of that type of stuff that's out there. I do not believe that us as humans, like we cannot go around rebuking Satan or casting him out, like trying to command him to do things, I think, as some people try to do or, again, presume that they are powerful enough to do so, which is, again, a root of pride. But God, Jesus, he is the only one who can really take care of the devil and defeat him and rebuke him and all of that. I don't believe in doing spiritual warfare in the regard of trying to actually talk directly to the evil spirits. That's just not our place, and nowhere in the Bible do we see that. 
I mean, we see the apostles being able to cast demons out of a couple of people in the New Testament. But again, that's a little bit different than the common type of spiritual warfare that people um, seem to experience, at least here in America. And yet we see some of these word of faith people and stuff trying to go around calling everything a devil and rebuking it. And it's just crazy. Anyway, moving on. So verses 14 to 16 was the confirmation by God himself that he is in fact our refuge. He will deliver us and protect us. And us here is those who have faith in him and hold on to him in love. He will hear us and answer us. He will be with us. He will rescue us. He honors us. He will give us long life. He will satisfy us. And ending with the best of all, he saves us. He's our deliverer, protector, rescuer, life giver, satisfier, and savior. So I just wanted to say a note too on the giving us long life. Again, this is not a promise that just because we're Christians or we have faith that we're going to live to be like 120 years old or something like we're actually going to have this long, awesome life. The reference of long life is tied to obeying his commands. I have a couple cross references on that here in Deuteronomy 5.33 and then to chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. Okay, Deuteronomy 5.33 says, You shall walk in all the ways that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Okay, going on to chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Okay, so those verses all talk about living long and, you know, all the days of your life and that your days may be long. That's tied to people who obey his commandments. Then over to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Okay, it says, My son, do not forget my teaching, But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Okay, so length of days and years of life and peace. We're seeing quantity of life, meaning a long life and quality of life being good and peaceful. But again, it was tied to not forgetting God's teachings and keeping his commandments. So there are possibilities of Christians who are obeying God's commands, who are living good lives, being sanctified, all of that, that could also experience long lives. They could experience wealth, could experience fame, you know, something like the world would measure as success or blessings. But definitely if that happens, I would think that the person would be mature in their faith. They would have been on the sanctification journey for a while and they probably would have had hardships somewhere in their lifetime. So their life definitely would not have been perfect the whole way through. So these things could happen and they could be wonderful Christian God-fearing people and good on them. (laughs) But it is not a guarantee And it is not for everybody. It is not a promise that is just a blanket for all Christians and nothing that we should expect. 
I think that we can look at these promises not only in the way of what I said earlier, where it is intangible things like growing in our love for one another and for God or finding peace in him that is beyond understanding, hope as we hope for the future, joy that comes only in knowing him. So even beyond going through our struggles with those things would be pointing us towards Eventually, when we go on after this life, our lives don't actually end, but we're just moving on to eternity. And so there could be health and wealth blessings here and now on earth, but we need to really be pointed to when we see those promises towards our eternity in heaven and the new earth with God when it will be sinless and it will be perfect. There will be no more struggles, no more tears, and we will be abiding face to face with the God of the universe and the lover of our souls. That is such a profound thought. We really need to take hold of that and make that our focal point. Someday we will have long life and it's longer than long, it's eternal. And someday our lives will be perfect and without sickness and disease and struggles. So those promises will be fulfilled in that. So even if it's not here and now, like a lot of people want it to be, it is coming and it will be fulfilled. You see, we can't always look for the promises of God to be fulfilled right away, but they will be fulfilled. So let us rejoice in that truth. And now we'll close in prayer. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for being our shelter, for providing refuge and a fortress for us. We thank you so much for being trustworthy and for being peace during our hard circumstances. We thank you for being our deliverer and that you are present here with us and that you're able to bring things about for our good and your glory and that you see us and that you hear us. We thank you for protecting us and having compassion upon us. We thank you for your faithfulness and your steadfast love in keeping your promises. We thank you that you keep us from moral evils. We thank you for your angels that you command them to help us sometimes. We thank you that you had victory over sin and death and you will destroy Satan and all the sin and brokenness. You will redeem us and the earth. We thank you for being our rescuer for being our life giver and satisfier, and for being our savior. Please forgive us for any tendencies we have to turn faith into a presumption. Help us to be on guard against temptations, our physical drives, pride, and the desire for possessions, that we would recognize those things and repent, ask for help from you. And Lord, please give us a hunger to know you more and learn more about you as we're learning more about your attributes and a hunger to read your word and to really study it and understand it. You will help us to obey your commandments and live in a way that is pleasing to you because of what you've done for us. And we ask this all in your precious name. Amen. So I hope that this episode was encouraging for you and you've learned some things as well. So that's it for this week. 
Next time, we will be doing more martyr stories. We'll be talking about Thomas in the Bible, Doubting Thomas, as he's known, and two others as well. This podcast is part of the Christian Podcast community. There are shows for women, men, parenting, about entertainment, current events, apologetics, and lots of theology. So if you like listening to podcasts, go check them out. You can find them online at podcasts.strivingforeternity.org. And if you'd like to get in touch, my blog is www.kristen-hamilton.com. You can send an email to inawonderpodcast at gmail.com. Keep reading your Bible and look for God's attributes, what verses cause you to confess any sins, and ways that you can praise God for who He is and what He's done. Thanks for listening.